0: You are part of a church that is planting churches all over the world. We partner with churches. And one of the things we wanna do is we wanna make sure it goes from generation to generation. Here's a picture of Christian with the next generation leaders from a number of our church partners, global partners. And they're now taking that mantle. They're the ones responsible in their churches. They work with us. And I get to spend time with them this week because we wanna be a church that's planting churches. And not only that, we, this year, are planting four new churches in Orange County. Is that exciting? Now, here's... Oh, it gets so much better than that. Hold on. Oh, I'm so excited. Next week, you know who's speaking? Doug. Doug's great, but better than Doug Fields. <laughs> Ricky Jenkins? He's No, better than Ricky. Ricky. My son, Cole, is speaking. I know. I... You've never heard him. But here's why it's important. Cole is starting a church down in the south county just below south of ladera ranch and we're part of that you know we're going to participate with him and so he's going to teach and what do you think he is terrified he's never spoken a box this big before like so i'm trusting you that you know you'll be here for him and you will love him and tell him how good he is because He's starting off in this church and launching and you're the ones that are gonna tell him you're great and we're gonna send him off with a sense of excitement because in years to come, you'll look back and go, I was there the first time he ever spoke at Mariners, right? So I I can trust you with him, right? (laughs) So next week, it's gonna be too great and then in the next few weeks, you'll get to hear, every one of them's not gonna speak, but you're gonna see and hear the stories of these other churches. All right, pull out your outline. You're in the fight of your life. We're going to talk about that. You know, when you think about your life, I mean, let's be honest. Don't we all want our life to be easy and sweet and nice? I mean, really, don't you want to just spend your life on a beach in Hawaii? No problems and everything's easy. If we were really honest, you know, if our life was a movie, we would like it to be a romantic comedy. No, there'd be a few problems, but everything just works out just the way it's supposed to in the end, right? In fact, if you're like me, when I was talked to about being a Christian, I was told it was going to be a romantic comedy. And it's a little frustrating because it hasn't, it hasn't worked out that way. In fact, when I read the Bible, I found out that I'm in a cosmic battle that I've been born into between good and evil. The truth is, your movie is Saving Private Ryan. And you are in a battle, and everybody lies to you when they say it's romantic comedy. And because of that, we are shocked when we see people's lives blown up, families torn apart, evil in the world. We are just simply not ready for it. But it shouldn't be that way. We should be ready for it, because the Bible tells us exactly what we're in. So we're in a series titled Survival. It's out of the book of Ephesians, written by the Apostle Paul. Paul. And he's told us that the most important thing if we're going to survive is that we must remember who we are. Because if we don't remember who we are, we'll find ourselves like Moana in the Disney movie, who finds herself stuck on a raft in the middle of the ocean and she doesn't know what to do. But when she remembers who she is, and even more if she can sing it, that's right, sing it like we did together in worship, then she is able ultimately to defeat the dark and bring life. And that's what our call, that's your call, that's your heroic task, is to defeat the dark and to bring life back. And so, in the book he tells us, you were, you were apart from Jesus, you were lost, dead in your sin, enslaved by desire, excluded, without hope, without God, all of us were spiritual orphans. That's who we were without Jesus. But then... When we believed in Jesus, in Christ, it says that we were blessed with every spiritual blessing. And then just a few that we looked at, we were adopted and loved, we're chosen. We are wanted. We are included, forgiven, rescued, alive in Christ. We are God's masterpiece. And what's important about this is that when we understand that we are transformed, we become different. And then the rest of the book and what we've been looking at is now this is how you're to live your lives. So Paul's not teaching us about religion. Religion is try harder, be better, do more, work harder. That's not what this is. It says you have been transformed. You are in Christ. Now live like it. And today what he's going to say is you are in a cosmic battle between good and evil. And I have given you, oh, Jesus is saying I've given you great resources, supernatural, ability, power, power so that you can fight the battle that you're in. Don't be naive to it. Live in it. So today, as we look at the reality of the battle, I think that for some of you that are Jesus followers, you're going to love this because it will remind you, maybe if you knew, if you didn't know, you'll be informed that here's the resources that you have and the strategy that you need to implement, which will be great for you because it will so help you. And for those of you that are new and you're not really sure what you believe, and we're going to talk about... You know, this whole idea of a spiritual battle, and you think, "Eh, you know, I'm not even sure I believe about the Bible, and now you're talking about spiritual battle, and "Eh." but I'll tell you, you're going to find out that it's way more useful than you thought, and you might find a reason just to want to believe in Jesus because the truthfulness of what the Bible says. So, the first thing we're going to see is the enemy that we face. Now what I'm going to read this passage, and you're going to see it talks about Satan and demons. And right away in Orange County, when you talk about that, people are like, whoa, really? We're going to talk about that? For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. Our enemies are not people. They never are what we can see. But against evil rulers, speaking about Satan or the devil or Lucifer, and authorities of the unseen world against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in heavenly places. To say that there, are, there is a real devil and demons, even to say it, I wish you could sit up here or stand up here and look at your faces. There's a lot of you that are like, really, you're going to do this? And you so bad want to look right and left like, are you buying this? You know, it's really? We're going to do because it's scandalous to say it. And C.S. Lewis, who is a great Christian author and thinker, wrote this in a book he wrote titled Screwtape Letters. He said, there are two equal and opposite mistakes we make when it comes to thinking about Satan and demons. One is an unhealthy interest in them. We attribute too much to them. We overstate their strength. We see them behind everything. We ascribe evil beyond what it can do. And this is what Hollywood captures powerfully because when you think of Satan or evil you think in paranormal and exorcism and you know when Satan shows up somebody's head spins around and they throw up and that's and so that's just kind of like your view and that that is not the biblical view and we'll talk about that or on the other side they don't believe in Satan at all which I think is for many people in Orange County where they go because we're modern people you know we don't really evil evil forces spiritual evil and here's what he summarizes The devil and their demons are equally pleased with both errors. They love it when you're saying, yeah, he's around every corner and responsible for everything or don't even believe in him. And here, what it says is who we fight is that we really do fight Satan with somebody that Jesus believed in. We fight evil forces that are spiritual forces that are part of this dark world. They are powerful. And it says they are organized. And the key thing is, is that's not flesh and blood. So we don't fight people. Now while people sometimes in their brokenness end up participating in the evil of this world like in a genocide or ethnic cleansing, ultimately the evil forces that we face in the world is beyond just the evil of a broken person. Now we struggle with the idea. There's no getting around it. And really when you think about it and you think about how we write about it, what we think about, most people when they think of evil And the evil in the world, they go, well, it's just people's brokenness. And they ascribe it to a natural cause because we're kind of scientific and you've got to be able to understand it. And so, you know, the evil is because of the social ills of society or a bad education or ultimately the injustice in the world or they weren't raised right. But I was reading an article by a Columbia professor who who basically in this article was talking about the danger when we lose the concept of evil. And in this article, he actually quoted... A scene out of the movie "'Silence of the Lambs." And this is what he said that I thought was profound, because he said, "This is what happens in the movie "'The Silence of the Lamb." The young policewoman is looking at ha- Hannibal Lecter, and she says to the other police officer, "What happened to him to make him so twisted?" And Hannibal Lecter responds, and she sa- and he says, "Nothing happened to me, officer Stanley- Officer Starling, I happened." You can't reduce me to a set of influences. You've given up good and evil for behaviorism. Officer Stanley, you have everyone in moral dignity pants. Nothing is ever anyone's fault. Look at me, you can't stand to say I am evil. So how do you explain the pervasiveness of the evil in the world today? Just say it's a lack of education, it's a bunch of causes that break people, or is there a dark, sinister world and powers that are beyond that we can't see? The Bible says that's what's going on, and until you understand it, you will never be ready for a battle because you don't know who you're fighting. So how do you explain it? The Bible explains it. The Bible says that God created a perfect world and we lived in loving relationship with God and each other and creation. And then in that world, Satan came and tempted us. Satan was the highest created being. He rebelled against God, and a third of the angels fell with him. And he came in, and he tempted us, because the Bible says that Satan's desire is to steal, kill, and destroy. When we are created, we actually had authority over creation. But when we are tempted and we rebelled against God... Part of that rebellion, we wanted life on our own terms. We surrendered our authority over creation to Satan. And so literally, he is the power of cre- over creation today. And as a result, our selfishness introduced into the world, the hatred, hatred jealousy, uh, racism, sexism, oppression, all of the evil that you see in the world. And Satan literally leverages our evil and brings the destruction and the evil that is in the world today. We're responsible for the evil. And Satan leverages it to destroy it, and that's where it came from. If you believe in a God who is all good and loving, you cannot make him responsible for evil. So where did it come from? It, where did it, how do you explain the evil in the world today? It is not inconsistent to believe in Satan, who is a supernatural being, who has fallen, who is also, along with us, responsible for the evil that we see in the world, and that's what the Bible teaches us. So what the Bible is going to teach us then is, what resources do we have in this spiritual battle that's going on? Because if you think your life is a romantic comedy, you are going to be disappointed because there is so much pain and sadness, and there is really a spiritual war, and families being broken apart, the sinister of what happens to children, and innocence, and things. I mean, how else can we explain it? And so, what he's going to tell us is, here is what you need to know. Now, how does Satan uh, operate? Basically, what is What is it that he does? He goes, well, against all the strategies of the devil. So he is strategic. Now he does three things. I'm going to just summarize it for you. Here's a short course. He does three things. He lies, he tempts, he accuses. All right? Can you just repeat that so I can believe you're listening to me? Satan has three strategies. He, he, and he, and literally that's part of his names. He's called the tempter, he's called the accuser, and he is called the liar. Jesus said of Satan, he hates the truth. He lies. When he speaks, he lies. It is the language of Satan. He is the father of lies. You'll like this. Get ready to go, oh, okay? Because it's going to be profound. You do not see Satan trying to possess Adam and Eve in the garden. Better than that. (laughs) But I like that you were there. You don't see that in trying to possess. One author wrote it this way. Satan does not leave fang, fang marks on your flesh. He, lay, he leaves lies in your heart. Okay, you missed your moment. So everybody, that was your big moment, all right? Everybody just give me a kind of, oh, you know, kind of a thoughtful, wait, I'll do it again. All right, one author wrote it this way. He goes, Satan does not leave fang marks on your flesh. He leaves lies in your heart. Oh. That was a little too much, but I like that you're there. <laughs> oh. But see, the point is, we get it all messed up because we look at Hollywood and, you know, it's not that he can't, but the idea that, really, all his whole strategy is to leave a lie in your heart. He is a liar and he lies. Then what he wants to do is he tempts. Temps, temptation is simply getting you to act on the lie that you believe. And he wants you to participate in your own self-destruction, so now he's just tempting you to act on the lie. And then, if you act on the lie, he, so I was just looking for, remember, he's three things, he lies, he tempts, then he, yeah, you do it, then he accuses you and he uses his two favorite tools which is shame and guilt, the gifts that never, you know, that keep on giving. So he just comes in, look at what you did, shame on you and guilt, and those—that that is his strategy. Now, what does the world offer against that, uh, that kind of a strategy, the supernatural power of evil? What are the resources that it offers? The world, religion, distraction, good, magic, money, power, none of these things are use, very useful at all, none of them are valuable. So what does... What are the Christian's resources and strategy? A final word, he says, be strong in the Lord. What's our strategy? To be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in time of evil. Then after the battle, you will be standing firm. The answer is be ready. What is our strategy? Be ready. ready. It would be foolish. You know, he's thinking here about Roman soldiers and warriors. You know, you do not, in the middle of the battle, go, oh, hey, I, I, where is that shield? Where did I put that thing? Arrows are coming. I better go get that out of the closet. The whole point is you've got to? Okay, you don't quite have it. Okay, now imagine this, all right? This is what the scene is. How many of you like hockey? I don't like hockey either. So, but, <laughs> but imagine you go to a hockey game or match. You go to a hockey game and your favorite player walks out onto the ice, street clothes, street shoes, doesn't have on skates, doesn't have on the body armor, doesn't have on the helmet, doesn't have, you know, the stick to hit the puck. What's gonna happen to him when the game starts? (laughs) He's gonna get in a lot of hurt because those guys move fast and they check people against boards he's not coming out okay or another picture for you know a sport we all like football okay so just imagine that you guy, you know you go out and it's you know professional football and you know player walks out no cleats no body armor no helmet ball snap and they hand him the ball what's going to happen to that guy he's going to die okay The point is, is that this, he goes, why would you, you are not in a romantic comedy. You do not want to go into this game, to this war, and not be dressed for battle, because you're going to die. This is going to really hurt. That's what he's saying here. So he says, you've got to be ready. Good, be ready, because every day you face battles. Now, the problem is, when you're facing big ones, sometimes Satan's so tricky, you're not even aware of it, but most of the time in big things, you do it. But the problem is, you don't understand every day how you're facing a a skirmish, and then we we lose it. So I'll give you an example that we all do every day, and we lose. (laughs) How many of you run into irritating people through the day? Okay, you don't have to raise your hand. (laughs) Don't look at your neighbor, okay. So we all do. And what do you think in your mind when you run into irritating people? I'll just tell you. You say, idiot. How can you be so stupid? What is wrong with you? How can she, how can he? How can you be so stupid? Now, what are the lies, because Satan lies, what are the lies you're believing When you just run into an irritating person and you do that. I don't do that. You know, I never try to cut in front of the line when I'm in a hurry. In traffic. You know, I never am insensitive. I never say an unkind word. I'm not like them. I'm always sensitive. I'm always kind. I never require people to be patient with me. Right? I'm better than them. Because Satan doesn't leave fang marks. He leaves lies. And so you're in that place, and so you're not armed with the truth. And see, without even thinking about it, you go to a place and you buy all these lies, and then you judge them. The temptation is to judge them. And you're like, I don't do that. I'm never like that. And the truth is, you're exactly like that. It just wasn't your turn. Okay? And so you didn't do it. And the truth is, you go, I'm like that. I do that. I can be impatient. I can be unkind. I can be insensitive. And most importantly, I know that God... I require patience from God. And God is so amazing that he looks at me and he's patient and he's kind. And when I was an angry rebel, he didn't turn his back on me, but he loved me. And when I understand that, you see how being armed with the truth just saves you every day? Second thing happens every day. Something goes wrong. You don't, you know, all of a sudden things don't, they don't go the way you thought they should go. Something doesn't happen. And what's the immediate response? God, where are you? What's wrong? Are you not paying attention? Don't you care? You don't care. You're not watching out for me. You don't love me. Oh, you love Harry, but you don't love me. And you don't take care of it. And you know what? Somebody needs to worry. I need to worry because I need to be responsible. It feels like I'm being vigilant. So I'm going to worry because you're not worried about this, and you don't care, and i got to solve this problem because you're not solving the problem. Do you see how quick... You have just got, what are all the lies? God's not good. He doesn't love you. He's not with you. He can't work everything together for good. You've bought every one of those lies, and so you live with fear. As opposed to the truth, God li- God is good. See, you just say that to yourself. God is good all the time. and he's watching out, and he's always working for your good, and he protects you, and he watches. So, you see, if you're just not armed with the truth, you lose battles before you even realize they're happening so our strategy strategy is way to be there for me the strategy is be ready all right and then our resources therefore put on every piece of God's armor if you look at a football player you look at a hockey player they need every piece wouldn't be any good to just have a helmet and no skates you know, that's not, you don't have a hockey stick, but you can kind of skate around, that's no good. You know, you've got to have it all to play the game, to be a part of it. And so there are seven things that we're going to look at here. And he says, it's a, and what would you think, you know, if your favorite hockey player came out and he's still dressed in street clothes, street shoes, but he brings the uniform out and sets it in the middle of the ice. You go, right? You go, what? Put it on. And that's the whole point because I'm going to read them to you. And here's what you're going to think it's going to say, you have faith, you have truth, you have righteousness, you have salvation. And you're going to read it and go, how many of you already have those things? You know, you're going to go, I got those things. I got them. Is it having them or having them? On. So the whole point is you've got to put them to use. So I'm going to talk to you about how to put them to use. All right. So let's look at them. They're seven. We'll go through it really quick. You ready? Belt of truth. All right. So you've seen Roman soldiers, pictures of them. A belt kind of held the whole uniform together. They'd cinch up that belt when they went into battle. It held everything on and it also held the sword. So what is the belt? The belt is truth. Because the one thing you need is, if Satan is going to leave lies in your heart, the one thing you need is, and the reason that Satan lies is because it works. If you look at the very first story, Satan, three lies, and these three lies he tells them to us all the time because they work. First lie, did God really say, is God telling you the truth? How do you know it's the truth? In fact, how do you know truth at all? Can you know truth? And what's the temptation when you think down that line? You need to decide the truth. Truth is according to what you believe. There's no truth. You decide the truth. That's Satan's first lie. Second one is in a world of yes, where God gives them every good thing, but at the center of the garden, there's one tree which represents at the center of your life, there is one decision. Will I trust God or not? Satan comes and tempts because he wants to leave lies in your heart. And what does he say? Is God really good? Because if there is one thing that, you know, the one thing you don't have is the one thing that you need to be happy, and if God isn't giving you the one thing you don't have, is he really good? Is he really good? He's not good. In fact, you can't trust him. You go get it yourself. That's the temptation. Third lie, you shouldn't live in humble dependence on God. You shouldn't. You should trust yourself. You can't trust God. You should trust yourself. Do what you think. And so what is the only defense against the lie? The truth. John, it's Jesus said, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So we need to know the truth about God, the truth about ourselves, and ultimately truth, Jesus said, is the narrow path. Truth isn't way out here. It's always narrow. It's limiting. It, It says this is true and these things are wrong. And so one of the things we have to understand who God is, understand who we are, because it really is the essence of connection. All of us were created for relationship and for connection. The problem is, to connect, to be in relationship, we have to go through this big hurdle, which is to tell the truth, to be honest, to be vulnerable. And we're terrified of being honest and vulnerable because we know the truth about ourselves. And we feel unworthy, and if you know the truth about me, you might not love me. You won't, you know, I'm not worthy, not good enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm not thin enough, I'm not, you know, quick enough or whatever. And so you won't love me, and one of the biggest risks that we take is to be who we are. But it is the birthplace of love and joy. When we finally come to God and say, God, it's, it's true. I, you already know it, but I'm broken. And I can't solve it myself. And I can't fix myself. And I can't be a better person. And I need your love and grace. And we come to him and we realize that he loves us just for who we are. We're not good, but he's good. It's the birthplace of love and joy. And when we turn to others and do the same thing, I'm not going to pretend. I'm not going to try to be better than I am. I'm not going to be worse than I am. I'm going to be all that God created me to be. That truth is what makes us free. And it ultimately protects us from lies and accusations. The second thing is the breastplate or body armor. It says, stand your ground putting on the body armor or breastplate of God's righteousness. The breastplate protects what? your heart you can take an arrow in the leg you can take an arrow in the arm you cannot take an arrow in the heart and so it protects your heart and what's critical to understand that is when we lose sight of this what is it that protects us it is God's righteousness that is our breastplate God's righteousness not your righteousness God's goodness not your good. It is not the good that you do. It's not acts of righteousness. It is not your good behavior that saves you. When you lose sight of God's righteousness, when you lose sight of the fact that Jesus died for you and because of that he gives you God's righteousness. When you lose sight of that you are Moana. You are in the middle of the ocean stuck on a raft and you do not know where to go. But when you remember who you are, that you are loved and forgiven and you are God's child, you are wanted and adopted into his family, your heart is protected. But when you focus and Satan lies to you and says, no, it's about what you do and you have to try harder and look at you and you got to be a better person and it's about your righteousness and your behavior and the things that you do, you're trusting in your righteousness and you have nothing protecting your heart but what protects your heart the body armor is god's righteousness look how it said in romans 8 so now there is no condemnation to those who belong to jesus so when you fail are you condemned no. no why because jesus makes you righteous so it's just information god's not done with you yet there's no condemnation who dares accuse us come on you know you know who dares accuse you satan does But look at what he says. For God himself has given us right standing. See, it's God's righteousness. He can accuse you. God's put you in the right place. When, who then will condemn us? Satan. Satan. I got it. All right. But Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. You have to fortify your heart with the truth of God's righteousness has been placed at your account. That protects your heart. Then... The next one is you've got to put on the shoes. For shoes, put on peace that comes from the good news that you'll be fully prepared. So you've got to have shoes so that you don't go tripped. What trips you up? You get tripped up when you forget this whole idea of peace, the good news, the gospel of peace. What is it when I put on the good news of peace? First of all, that I'm at peace with God. Ultimately, the reason I'm at peace with God, I mean, some of us don't realize it, But, you know, basically what we did to God, we were like, you know, children or, you know, how an angry teenager, when you all of a sudden draw a boundary and they just get real ticked and they look at you and they go, there will be no peace in this house, (laughs) right? And they just pit their will against you. Well, that's what we all did to God. And we said, there will be no peace. But incredibly, God loved us too much to leave us that way. So he showed up in this world in the person of Jesus. He died the death that we were already dying, died for us to extend forgiveness to us. And his love melted our hearts and he won us back. And now we're at peace with God because of what Jesus did, not what we did. And because we're at peace with God, we experience the peace of God. Jesus said, don't let your heart be troubled. You can trust me, I'll take care of you and I will give to you this gift of peace. You live in the peace of God because I have peace with God and I'm able to live at peace with myself and with others. Why? How did Jesus destroy the powers of this world and darkness? Through self-sacrificing love, humility and compassion. And so we are able to go into the world and extend the same love self sac yeah it costs us something but we give self-sacrificing love, we forgive, we extend compassion because that's what Jesus did to us, we're never alone, we're never lost, we live in the peace of God and then we become messengers of peace Paul said, my life is worth nothing unless I use it for doing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news, the good news, here's the gospel about God's wonderful kindness and love we move into the world we you know our fee- we run into the world with this the idea there is good news there is peace with god a few weeks ago i was with a friend in fashion island right out in front of pandemon i had a coffee shop and we were talking about his life and his life was he, there was no peace he was struggling in relationships there was brokenness and i talked to him about the peace of god the peace that he could have peace with God. And as a result of that, you know, that Jesus wouldn't just come into his life and forgive him, but give him, to the, give him the power to produce peace in his life. Wouldn't you want that, I said? He says, yes, I, want, I need that. And he prayed right in Fashion Island. I don't even know if that's legal. But he <laughs> did. He did. And he asked Jesus into his heart, and he experienced the peace of God. That's what we do, right? exactly so that is what it means to have your feet you know it is the idea of I've got peace and then the shield of faith that ex- look at it, it says hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil what are the fiery arrows of the devil lies doubt worry lust power money now all these things, and the idea is that these are fiery arrows they hit and they literally will consume you. The shield, this is the big shield if you've seen Gladiator, not the little fighting shield. So it's a big shield and the shield does two things. It protects you and it, and it unifies uh, a, an army. So literally, like when they rain down all the arrows, you know, seen an army, they all pick up their shield and it becomes a wall that protects everyone and that's what faith does. Faith not only protects you, it also creates protection for others. It protects and it unifies. Uh, Faith, remember what I've taught you about faith? Faith is when hope so turns into believe so. And how does that happen? Because you have a promise. Remember? You see that pretty girl, you're a single guy. You want to date her, you hope she'll date you, she hopes she'll date you. You How does hope so turn into believe so? He texts her and says, will you go out? And she says, yes. Hope so turns into believe so. so. You hope you'll get a raise. You hope you'll get a raise. You hope you'll get a raise. What turns hope so into believe so? Your boss walks into the office and he gives you a promise. I'm going to give you a raise so you believe it. So hope, faith is when hope gets a promise and you hold on to that promise and you act on it. In Luke 8, Jesus was with his disciples on a boat in the Sea of Galilee. Storm comes up as they're crossing the lake. the the disciples lose their mind because the the storm is causing water to come over the gunnel rails and the boat is sinking. And they literally, Jesus is sleeping in the back, and they start screaming at Jesus, we're sinking, we're going to die. Don't you care? We're going to die. We're going under. You don't care. We're going to die. Jesus wakes up and he turns, looks at the storm and he says, be quiet, silent. And the storm stops. And he's looking at 12 red faces that are dripping with water, screaming, We're going to die! You don't care! You know, he's like that. And then look at what Jesus said. Where is your faith? He doesn't say you have too little faith. He says, Where is your faith? Go get it and use it right now. Pull it out, it's like a shield. What is it, it's like, you know I'm good. I took care of you in the past. I've been faithful. I love you, I protect you, I have watched over you. Now, take that promise and use it here. Pull it out like a shield. You know, use your faith. Faith, you know what faith feels like in really hard moments? It feels like it's irresponsible. Because it's like, what feels responsible? To worry, to fret, to be anxious. my gosh, the world's coming apart. I don't know if God's there. You know, will he be good? And I know he's good last time, but I got to worry about this because I got to do it. I got to call up 10 friends and I got to work. That feels responsible. Right? But what would Jesus say? Get your faith out. Use it. I'm good. I'm loving. I will protect you. I'm working everything together for good. It feels terrifying, but it is the most uh, awesome thing to see in another person's life. It is beautiful when somebody in difficult times takes a promise of God and they act on it. They hold it. They believe it. That's faith. It's when hope so turns into believe so and that's your shield. It will protect you and it protects others. Then the helmet of salvation. Put on the helmet of salvation. What does a helmet protect? Your head which protects your thinking or your brain. And so if you wanna change your behavior, what do you have to change? You can't just you know use self-will to change behavior. If you want to change the outcomes of your life, you have to change the way you think, which changes your attitudes and actions, which leads to different outcomes. And so look at what it says in Romans. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of the world. Don't be, don't, just because the world's doing it, don't do that. Don't do just everything the world does. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Be transformed in your thinking. Then... You will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So how do you let God transform the way you think? We saw it in Ephesians 4. You put off the old way of thinking. You put off the world's way of thinking. And you put on God's truth. The honor, you know, That God loves you. That you are God's loved child. The truth of salvation. You're adopted, wanted, and forgiven. And then, then, the next time will be better than the last time because you'll think different, which will lead to different attitudes and actions, which ultimately lead to different outcomes. And then the next one, the sixth one, take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. God's great resource to you in every spiritual battle is his word. In Matthew four, Jesus was tempted by Satan. And he said two words. Scripture says, Scripture says, Scripture says, Scripture says. If that's what Jesus said when he was tempted, what do you think you should say? Can you say, Scripture says? I mean, you can say it's not those words. You've got to be able to. Re, you've got to have scriptures behind it. You know, you got to be able to say. You know, you go. So, here. In your outlines, you got also this rooted card. If you've gone through rooted, we'll cheat you for a second. You can have it, but you should memorize these verses. Jesus had huge portions of Scripture memorized, and so he could quote Scripture at him. When you face temptation, there are many times that the only answer is some biblical truth, and if you have it ready to go, you can quote it and say, "Scripture says." Have you put God's? You know, the Psalmist says, "I put God's word in my heart, so I won't sin." So do you know God's Word? Have you memorized it? Have you taken some of those verses so that you are ready and you are able to stand? And then the last one is prayer. It's the last part of the uniform. Here it is. Look at what he says. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent. Don't quit. Always stay at it. In your prayers for all believers, everywhere and pray for me too and then that's the end of the book. Those last words. So he finishes. So he says Bible and prayer. You gotta Bible and prayer. You gotta know God's word, you gotta pray. Bible and prayer. You need to do it individually. You gotta spend time in God's word and prayer because that is that builds power. It fortifies your soul. Then you need to do it in a life group where there's Bible and prayer so that together you're studying God's word, you're looking at what God's word says, you get to see the truth of God's word through other people's eyes. And then prayer, and then you need to do it as a church as we gather together, we study God's Word, and we pray together. So how goes the battle? Do you still think that your life is a romantic comedy? Because it is not. You are in a cosmic battle between good and evil. And Jesus came and died on the cross to destroy the power of evil. And now he gives you his resources so that you can fight the battle. You would be crazy to walk out on the field every day without the uniform on. You never do that, would you? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for these great resources that you have given to us. Would you make us mindful every day of these great resources so that we would put them on, put them to use, make them valuable in our life? so that as we move through the day, we would experience the victory that you want us to experience as your children. Let's stand together and worship.
1: guides in my heart. My song to rise to You. When temptation comes my way, and when I cannot stand, I fall on You. For Jesus, You're my open stay. And when I cannot stand, I fall on. say
0: we need every day i need you lord lord i need you oh i need you lord oh lord i need you you need to pray with someone today colin and a group of his friends are over here they'd love to pray with you if your need is to be prayed for healing outside these doors to the right elders will pray for you there and then remember next week cole speaking you got to be here for that right all right we're gonna send him off and launch him you be good to him hold out your hands receive god's blessing father look at your children they love you would you bless them and keep them Would you cause your face to shine upon them and be gracious to them would you lift up the light of your countenance would you turn your attention towards them in the midst of the battle, and would you give them help and strength and perspective? And God, would you give them your peace? We ask in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go in God's grace. You have a great day.